0: listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. As we go through the Gospel of Luke, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 8 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 21. Um, And Jesus, again, is talking about the kingdom. And we understand kingdoms. We understand kings. Human history is built and understood around the reality of men who would be kings over kingdoms. Um, and so we, we grasp that. This is not a difficult thing for us to understand that history rises and falls with the rise and fall of kings and kingdoms, but it also should uh, cause us to come to grips with the fact that we, as citizens of an earthly kingdom, are always looking For a better king and a better kingdom. Many times that's the political process that we find ourselves in the middle of. We like this candidate because we think he'd be a better king and things would go better in our kingdom. We don't like this candidate because we think he's not a good king and things are not going well in the kingdom. The fall has caused us to long for a better king. And a better kingdom. And ultimately what we're looking for is the king of kings who is Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven. And so enter humanity Jesus Christ comes to the planet. He's born in human flesh. Once he goes through a time in the wilderness, he now steps onto the scene of humanity and he proclaims this message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand repent of all the value systems of all the things that you believe that are wrong. Repent of all the things that you have attached your heart to and come and be a part of my kingdom. The king has come and he is now establishing a kingdom. But here's the confusing thing about the kingdom of heaven. We want a king that's going to overthrow the political party that we don't like, right? The Jews wanted a king that was going to overthrow Rome. We want a king that's going to knock down all the institutions and structures that are opposed to the things that we believe. We want a kingdom of brick and mortar. We want a kingdom of personalities. We want a kingdom that marches forward and overthrows our enemies. And Jesus says, I'm coming with a completely different kind of kingdom. My kingdom is not like the kingdom of this world. My kingdom is not a kingdom of brick and mortar. My kingdom is not a kingdom of great orators and fantastic men with leadership abilities. My kingdom is not even a kingdom that could, could potentially sh- change or shape the circumstances of your life for the better. By the way, we tell people, hey, come get in this kingdom. Everything's going to go your way. No, his kingdom is not the kind of kingdom that makes your life better or your circumstances better. You see, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is a kingdom of the heart. Jesus Christ will not change everything around you when you come into his kingdom. But Jesus Christ will change everything inside of you when you come into his kingdom. And it's difficult for us to get from the material world that we live in. Our desire for power, our desire for materialism, Uh, Our desire for the good things of this world is difficult for us to get from here and the infection that we're all plagued with of the prosperity gospel to a place where being in Christ may mean that I will suffer. Being in Christ may mean that I live in bad circumstances. May mean that things go from bad to worse. But being in Christ's kingdom means that my heart is radically transformed, that I have a new heart. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is... A kingdom of the heart. Why is it a kingdom of the heart? Because people in the kingdom are not attaching themselves primarily to ideology. Although there is ideology in the kingdom. There are value systems in the kingdom. There is worldview in the kingdom. But all of that grows out of our relationship with the king. We miss that. We miss that. His kingdom is a kingdom of the heart that grows out of our relationship with him. Therefore, if we are going to be in the kingdom, what we're going to see this morning in this text is this, that people who are part of the kingdom hear the king speak. And when the king speaks, it doesn't just enter your ears and your head, but it enters your heart. The good news of the kingdom, the word of the king interacts with our heart. And so if we were going to look at one main thought today is this. How you hear the word of God changes everything. How you hear the word of God changes everything. Luke chapter 8 beginning in verse number 1. Soon afterward he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a new day. It's a new life. It's a new world. It's the kingdom of life. Jesus Christ comes. He's going to offer himself as a sacrifice. He's going to pay for our sin. He's going to reverse all of the impact of the fall as it relates to our heart and our standing before a holy God. He's going to rise from the grave victorious over sin. He is currently seated at the right hand of the Father. He is coming back. This is good news. This is where we need to put our hope this morning in the gospel. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting. We, we get a, a little uh, circumstantial information here. And the 12 were with them. We know who the, who the 12 were. We've already had conversations about the 12. And also, some women who had been Healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, that is a reference to where she was from, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. We, we move on now from the people of the kingdom, and we see the people of the kingdom also in verses 19 to 21, and I'll read that in just a minute. But we move from, we move from the people of the kingdom to the, the parables of the kingdom. What, what are the parables? What's going on here? Verse 4, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and, he, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it and some fell on the rock and as it grew up it withered away because it had no moisture and some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it and some fell in good soil and it grew and yielded a hundredfold and he said these things as he said these things he called out He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There are some people who the sound of his voice is going into their ears, but they're really not hearing where they're supposed to be hearing. And there are some people that have a different kind of ear that's beyond the physical realm, and they're hearing what he is saying and is going deep into their inner person, into their heart, into their inner being. And when his disciples asked him, verse 9, what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. What is he saying there? He's essentially quoting from Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10. And Jesus is quoting Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 because Isaiah was preaching God's word, was proclaiming God's word, but the the quote-unquote people of God were not hearing the Word of God. This is critical. This is critical. What we're going to hear from this text is... When you are exposed to the word of God and you are ambivalent to the revelation of God and you do not let it speak to your heart and sink deeply into your soul, the revelation that you are given from God, when God is speaking to you, if you, have, if you are ambivalent toward it, you pay no attention to it, it will be taken away from you. That sounds really weird. You've probably never heard anybody say that before. This is what Jesus is saying. The people in Isaiah's day wouldn't hear the word of God, so he said, I'm going to take the word of God away from them. He's saying the same thing here. He goes on to explain the parable. He says in verse 11, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. There's nothing wrong with the seed. Let us us understand that this morning. A lot of times we think, well, if I could just find somebody to preach a different message. No, there's nothing wrong with the message. Well, maybe if we could just have a better messenger, the right kind of messenger, a more, maybe a more flamboyant messenger, maybe a better speaker, maybe somebody that's better looking, maybe somebody that doesn't stand up with a bunch of dots on their head from the dermatologist, Right? But the, the, the problem is, is not the, the, the message. The seed is good and, and, and the, the message goes forth. It's proclaimed. So the seed is being broadcast and spread. The problem ends up being the soil. And the soil, he's going to tell us in the text, is the heart. So the issue is the heart. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. So that they may not believe and be saved. The path that he's talking about is probably the path between the rows if you've ever been out in a field. And you've seen where somebody walked along or the tractor drove along nowadays and the, tire, the, the tractor tires go in the rut, but the dirt is mounded up and you've got the seed and it's planted. It wasn't exactly like that. There was this hardened path that they would walk down. And when you walk on a path and you beat down a path, a, 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 a pig path, somebody might call it, just the path that's walked on over and over again, the soil on that path becomes very hard and you could put anything on it that you wanted to. Even water wouldn't soak into it. He's saying there's this path that, that has so much activity, that's, that's got, got so much communication on that path, that just one more uh, means of communication is not having any impact on it. That's, that's one type of soil that's, that's, that's hardened. They've heard the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. He moves to a second Heart condition. And the ones on the rock, he's talking about uh, a layer of perhaps uh, limestone beneath the dirt. So you don't really know what's beneath the dirt, but there is this thin layer of dirt. I don't know if you've ever been to Jackson and you've passed by where the old First Baptist Church used to be there. But um, it's a tan building. It's for sale. It's been for sale forever. But if you look back at the education building, I see it every time I pass by. There are weeds growing up from the roof of that building. Looks like probably a flat building, a tar roof, a rolled roofing. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but there's probably a thin layer of dirt there. And those weeds will begin to grow up, but then they start trying to find somewhere to take root, and they don't have anywhere to take root because there's this this difficult surface that is impenetrable beneath it. So he's telling us about this soil that has this rock just beneath the surface. And the ones on the rock are those who... When they hear the word, receive it with joy. This is amazing. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. Things get difficult, and they fall away. Verse 14, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, as they go on their way, says as they just it means progressively, as they gradually go on their way, as they go through the process of life, the, 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 the weeds, the thorns don't jump up and grab you immediately and start choking you, right? They just kind of grow up, they kind of weave their way around. The other plants are growing, they're weaving their way around, and all of a sudden, ultimately, at some point, at just the right time, the, the weeds are going to choke out the good plant and squeeze the life out of it. That's what happens when you plant a garden, for those of you that uh, are familiar with those kinds of things. The thing that does the choking are the cares and riches and pleasures of life. There are things that we are trying to satisfy our heart with that never satisfy our heart, but we give them weight and we give them value, and it causes us to miss the value. It diminishes the value of our soul, of our heart, and their fruit does not mature. Verse 15, a fourth kind of soil. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The text is obviously about the word of God. The text is obviously about the heart. I'm afraid we don't make those connections often enough. Jesus continues with the same theme, by the way. Look at verse 16. He's going to draw down here and help us understand exactly what he's saying. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it With a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. He's talking about the Word of God. Those who receive the Word of God in their heart are not going to hide the Word of God. They're going to receive it, and it's going to be transformative in their life. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, listen to what he says. He's talking about the heart. He's talking about hearing the Word of God. Take care then how you hear. This is the point of the passage. Take care care. Be careful how you hear. I don't know what's on your mind this morning. You could have a million things on your mind, and you could have a million things that you believe are more important than what you're doing this morning. There could be a million things that you think are more important than God speaking to your heart. He said, be careful. Be careful. It may not be that you don't need God's Word, it may be that your heart is hardened. It it may be that you have let the cares and pressures of this world make your heart insensitive to the truth of God's Word. It could be that, that pleasures and just being enamored with the value system of this world have choked out. understanding of how desperately you need, and so you're like, man, I've got a million things on my mind. I've got a million more important things that I need to be doing this morning and not here. So he says, verse 18, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. What does he say? To the one who hears the word in his heart, more of God's word and greater clarity regarding God's word or God's speaking Or what God is speaking about is going to be given to us. That's what he's saying. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then he goes into these people. Then his mother and his brothers came to him and they could not reach him because of the crowd and And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And he said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Again, he's talking about the word of God, hearing the word of God and hearing the word of God in our heart. Let me just give you three simple thoughts from the text. Number one, we see in the text, the people of the kingdom, the people of the kingdom. He gives us that in verses one to three. He gives us that that in verses 19 19. To 21, the people of the kingdom. Let me just say several things about the people of the kingdom. Number one, kingdom people are part of an unchanging mission. We see it laid out here. The mission hasn't changed. Jesus, is he started out doing what he's doing. It hasn't changed. Jesus has got like this one-trick pony. He's got this one-dimensional ministry where everywhere he goes, he's telling people about the good news of the kingdom. Believe the kingdom. He's speaking with the authority of the kingdom. He's proclaiming the kingdom. He's telling people to repent and come and be a part of the kingdom of God. This is what you were born for. This is what you were created for. This is what you long for. It's the kingdom. And so... Kingdom people are part of an unchanging mission. Go everywhere and tell everyone and there is no place at no time that that mission ever changes for people who are part of the kingdom. Don't miss that. Secondly, kingdom people gather around the Word of God. Scripture is central to kingdom people. But it is not scripture as an academic exercise. It's not scripture with me just stuffing my head with information. It is Scripture is the living word from a living Lord. It is the God of heaven, the God of heaven, the God, the one God, the God over all gods, over all kingdoms. It is the God of heaven revealing himself to his people, revealing himself to mankind, the God speaking. Kingdom people gather around the Word of God to hear and to connect and to comprehend not only information, but to understand who God is so that they can have a relationship with Him and to understand how God desires to have a relationship with us. Kingdom people gather around the Word of God. Thirdly, kingdom people will shock the religious establishment. Kingdom people will shock the religious establishment. Jesus surrounded himself on purpose with unlikely people, uncommon people, and in many cases, unwelcomed people. We know that his disciples and his followers were not high character, high capacity leaders. They were not trained or recognized by the spiritual or religiously elite. They were not theologians. In fact, quite frankly, they were emotional. They were impulsive. They, in some instances, were irrational, and we know they were looked down on and despised, particularly by the religious crowd. We also know the text points out, and I think Luke goes to great pains to tell us, not only were the disciples there sort of as an afterthought, but he also dives into the fact that there are some women there that are following Jesus. And this is radical. This is transformative. Jesus has a completely different view of women than the religious establishment or the cultural man. And by the way, if you want to know how to treat a woman, look at the way Jesus treats women. We never find anywhere in scripture recorded that any woman ever said anything derogatory about Jesus, but at every juncture of jesus ministry women were there you say well what, what does that mean it just means what scripture says uh, I, I, the rabbis and many of us have views that are consistent not i'm not going to say us because i don't many men have have views that are consistent with rabbis that they don't they didn't even believe women should be taught the word of god they put women on a different level women are created in the image of god and men, it's, it's high time we understand that they have, uh, there is absolutely spiritual equality. I'm not closer to God than, and, and supposed to be closer to God and somehow in close to God in a way that my wife can't get close to God. Jesus brings these women uh, alongside. It's right there in the text. That's why I'm dealing with it. It is this very crowd that Jesus to associate with and to gather himself to be his core group. This is his A-team. If we have a high view of Scripture, we're going to have a high view of individuals no matter what their past is or where they come from. And if we have a high view of Scripture, we're going to have a high view of women. And in many cases, that is counterculture, countercultural. This passage opens with, the, with identifying Jesus' most faithful followers and most sacrificial supporters. And the truth is, they would be perceived by most as the weak emotional type. His disciples and these women, Jesus is surrounding himself with the weak emotional type. The kind of people, listen, the kind of people that live out of their heart. The kind of people that live out of their heart. And that is the composition of the kingdom. That is the composition of the kingdom. I talked to a pastor one time, and he said, these are my elders. I said, why are they your elders? He said, because they have money. And our church needs money. That's not who is prominent in the kingdom. Well, who who are these people? Are they the, the the erudites, the the theologians? Who are they? Jesus is intentionally surrounding himself with people who are able to get in touch with their hearts. This is the kingdom. Also indicative in this text. In shocking the religious establishment, kingdom people are overtly broken people. Kingdom people are overtly broken people. And until we come to grips with our brokenness, we will never see the need for the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Until we come to grips with our brokenness, we will never experience His power. A woman possessed with seven demons... We know people in the kingdom certainly have a past, but we go down to verses 19 to 21, and we also see that they have a present that gives them a new identity, and they're living out of that new identity because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. The, the fourth thing, and I've said a lot of things, so there's probably more than four, but I'm going to try to keep on with my outline here. Kingdom people use their physical resources for spiritual outcomes. Kingdom people use their physical resources for spiritual outcomes. Well, we, we see it in the text who provided for them out of their means. There was something about these people that understood the value of spiritual things. I've told you before, as a pastor, you struggle your whole life with being viewed by other people, and particularly in a man's world, as being someone who has nothing that is uh, a barterable, nothing that, is, nothing that you can negotiate with because I don't sell anything, I don't make anything. I just stand up and talk stand up and talk. And what's that worth? It's not worth what it's worth to nail a shingle on a roof or whatever else anybody does. But when something transforms our heart, we come to grips with the fact that our spiritual life is more valuable than the physical world. We also come to grips with the fact that I want to take my gifts, my resources, my abilities, and I want to invest them in this eternal kingdom, this everlasting kingdom, I, I love Galatians six, and I'm going to just turn there brief, briefly as as um, as a as a challenge for for your heart and your understanding. Listen to this, Galatians six six. And he's, he's dealing with relationships. He's dealing with bearing one another's burdens. Um, he says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. You say, well, you want us to give you something? No, we just had pastor appreciation and, and uh, I'm paid well. And y'all are a generous people. So I'm not up here to beat you up. I'm up here to say thank you. I'm up here to say praise God. I'm up here to say it seems like quite a few people get it. I'm thankful for that. But don't just do it out of a dead habit. Don't just do it because you're scared you're going to have a flat tire on your way home if you don't give. That's where a lot of people are. Do it because you recognize your soul has value. Do it because you recognize your heart has value. Do it because God sends those in spiritual leadership to care for your soul. And that's, that's very valuable. Listen to what he says. Let the one who is taught the word... Share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, this is interesting. We go to this verse a lot, but we skip the first one. Listen. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Believe it or not, that is in the context. Check it out. It's in the same paragraph as him saying, Hey, those of you that have physical resources, share with those who are leading you spiritually in caring for your soul. And if you don't, all you're doing is living for the flesh, and from the flesh you're going to reap corruption. But if you will take your physical resources and invest them in spiritual truths and in the lives of those that are teaching you the Word, then you will receive the spiritual reward. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap If we do not give up, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Why? Because we're this spiritual body, but we've got to figure out what to do with our physical resources and how these things are connected. And we see in these first three verses of Luke chapter 8 exactly how they are connected connected there are these people that are a part of the kingdom jesus has preached the kingdom these people have come into the kingdom and this is how people in the kingdom live and how they view their resources and they literally are dying to have the opportunity to take their resources to invest them in spiritual eternal things so the people of the kingdom if you will um you can see it in verse number 19 the the same the same thing Um, these people are now his family, Jesus said. In other words, there is this past that Satan is going to try to identify us by. And there is this past that, quite frankly, the Pharisees will try to identify us by. But there is this future that Jesus identifies us by. And he didn't say, oh yeah, Mary Magdalene. He didn't say, oh yeah, all of these different people, all of these disciples, all this ragtag group of fishermen. And yes, the, the tax collectors certainly were reminded of them, but Jesus identifies them as his family. These are these are my family members, those who hear my word, whose hearts have been transformed, whose heart is this fertile soil. And when I speak, they receive it and understand who I am and understand who they are and understand how we relate and understand what their life is about. So the people of the kingdom, before we, before we look at the remainder of the text, um, I want just, to uh, just make a few statements. just to to challenge your heart this morning, you can believe and have the most correct theology and doctrine, and I'm not opposed to any of that. I just want to be clear. You can believe and have the most correct theology and doctrine and even articulate the gospel and affirm and proclaim the deity of Jesus Christ and even tremble at Scripture and be a demon. Do you know that? Everywhere he went, Son of God, what do you have to do with us? The demons recognize Jesus is the Son of God. Even the demons believe and tremble. You can have a good mind and a bad heart and know truth and have knowledge and at the same time have a heart filled with anger and bitterness and selfishness and be a self-righteous Pharisee. The, The Pharisees, their righteousness would put us to shame. And their knowledge of Scripture would put us to shame. But their hearts were bad. You can look down your nose at others and proof text every reason to disenfranchise them from the kingdom. Look at those disciples. Look at those dumb disciples. Look at those, look at those smelly disciples. Look at those women. What, ra- what true rabbi would have a bunch of women traveling with him? Look at their past. You can be the greatest critic of those who shouldn't be in the kingdom and not be in the kingdom yourself if you're not careful. Belief and obedience are important, but belief and obedience are two legs on a three-legged stool. Belief and obedience will turn into legalism without a transformed heart. Jesus is challenging his followers to look at their heart. And I would ask you this morning... How is your heart? You need to think about that. I need to think about that. How is your heart? And how is your heart moved when Jesus speaks? How is your heart? And how is your heart moved when Jesus speaks? How you hear the word of God in your heart changes everything. Have you heard the Word of God in your heart? (laughs) Let me just say, for clarification, hearing the Word of God in your heart does not change the content of God's Word. Let somebody want to say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're getting into a bunch of subjective stuff there. Um, How you hear the Word of God does not change the content of God's Word. How you hear the Word of God changes the impact of God's Word. Okay? There are a lot of people that hear it, but it never impacts their life. They know it, but it never impacts their life. But when the Word of God is heard in our heart, it impacts our life. So how hearing the Word of God in your heart does not change the content of God's Word. I'm not talking about you making something up. I'm not talking about you sitting around in a group saying, I, I think God is saying this. <laughs> I'm talking about valuing Scripture, hearing Scripture, listening to Scripture, obeying scripture but i'm talking about it having an impact in your life that is supernatural the second thing we see not only the people of the kingdom but the parables of the kingdom and there are two things i want you to see about these parables here first of all jesus gives the parable in verses 4 to 8 and then he explains the parable in verses 9 to 15 but i want to begin with the point of parables the word parables is is basically to have a similitude it's to take two things and put them side by side and, and to show there how, what the correlation is between them, is to give a picture, is to give insight into uh, greater reality. But this parable specifically that Jesus speaks of here in the text that we're looking at today is an expression of judgment on those who hear the Word of God in their head or in their ears but don't hear the Word of God in their hearts. It is an expression of judgment. It is an expression of judgment to those who have been exposed to the word of God, but unresponsive to the word of God. That's critical. Think about that. It is is a word of judgment to those who have been exposed to the word, but unresponsive to the word. I've already mentioned Luke chapter 6 verses 9 and 10, where Israel had persistently rejected the word of God. And he says, Isaiah, I'm going to speak to them in a way because they don't want to hear the word of God because they're not taking the word of God seriously. I'm going to speak to them in a way where the word of God is going to be taken away from them. They're not going to hear the word of God. He says in Luke eight eighteen, be careful how you hear. Don't be careless. Don't be indifferent. Don't be disconnected. Hearing God's word, listen, hearing God's word should be unlike anything else that you hear in your life. Do you get that? I mean, we wake up in the morning and we're looking at our phones. We're taking all of these devices and we're putting them in front of our kids so that they don't bother us so that we can sit in front of our devices. or we, We're looking at TV constantly. We're listening to the radio constantly. No wonder the path is just well-worn and beaten down with all sorts of communicative activity, right? And so we got to go to church or we got to read our Bible or we've got to do something spiritual. And I'm challenging you this morning with this reality that hearing God's word should be unlike anything else in your life. Take care then how you. If you have no use for the Word of God, if you have no real care for the Word of God, if you have no hunger for the Word of God, if you have no amazement at the Word of God, if there is no response in your heart to the Word of God, it will be taken away from you. If you continue to despise the gospel, it will be taken away from you. You will not be able to hear it. This parable is given for them to understand that our relationship with God is either one of blessing or judgment. It is never neutral. You're never going to walk in. You're never going to sit before. You're never going to hear God's word proclaimed and say, I'm just going to take a neutral position to that. You absolutely can't do that. Either you're moving toward it and it is a blessing you or you are moving away from it and you are being judged. Our relationship with God is never limited to thinking or to knowledge or to belief. Our relationship with God is always a matter of the heart. So this parable is given as a form of judgment on those who disregard or take lightly God's word, God speaking, God communicating to those that he has created. This parable is given to warn us of the danger of not fully engaging in hearing God speak to us, communicate to us at the deepest level of our being. And I would ask you this morning when have you experienced God communicating his word to you at the deepest level of your being in your heart? This is critically important. That's the point of the parables. If you don't hear the word of God, the word of God is not penetrating the depth of your being and cutting through all of the other things that stand as barriers in the way, then you're in trouble. How are you hearing the Word of God in your heart? That's the point of the parable. Secondly, the the purpose of this parable... Is, is, the purpose of this parable is is to expose the danger of not rightly relating to the Word of God, of not hearing God's Word at the deepest level of our being. The danger of being indifferent, of being ambivalent, of being cold, of being disconnected from the life of God, from the self-revelation of God. God steps on to the scene of human history and He says, here I am. I want to be in relationship with you. Here I am. I want to be in fellowship with you. Here I am. I have this kingdom. I want you to be in my kingdom. Come and draw near and. Draw close. What are you close to? What are you connected to? What is meaningful to you? The text reveals to us, beginning in verse 9, four heart conditions. The first heart condition is a hard, cold, unresponsive heart. The word has been spoken and heard, there is at least presence and observation in some form. I've already said there's nothing wrong with the message. There's nothing wrong with the messenger. There's nothing wrong with the Method. The problem is the soil and the first soil that he talks about is a soil that is experiencing a lot of traffic that is packed down that cannot respond that the seed will just sit there on and he tells us in the text the explanation not the birds are coming but Satan comes and he grabs the seed and he takes it away so that the person can't receive it and believe the gospel. Wherever seed is sown, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, Satan is always at work. We don't talk about Satan nowhere near enough. We don't talk about the angelic realm anywhere near enough. We don't talk about the demonic realm anywhere near enough. But understand, Satan is always working. Satan is always pursuing. Satan is always hunting. Satan is always disrupting. Satan is always stealing. Satan is always killing. Satan is always destroying. He never tires. He's never weary. He never takes a day off. He never gives us a break. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, Satan is always at work. And he's more than willing to do his work where the heart is not prepared to receive the word of God, where hearts are hard. You may be sitting here today with a hard heart. So, I don't like the building. I don't like the preacher. I don't like my parents. I don't like the fact that they made me come here. You may be sitting here with a hard heart today. By by the way, that ought to scare us. That ought to scare you, parents. That ought to scare us for our kids if their hearts are hard. It ought to scare us. It ought to concern us. It's, it's it's not a matter of somebody with the, with the right machismo coming on the scene with the right tone of voice or or the right gimmick or the, or the right magic trick or just the right personality you say well, I, well we don't like you therefore we're not going you, you you're not going to stand before God in heaven and say I didn't believe because I didn't like Mark not going to do it and so we, we see this this hardness of heart, and Satan is coming and always working to to steal the seed, always prowling, always seeking. Wherever the seed is sown, the gospel, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, Satan is at work. Is your heart hard this morning? And I would ask you, as you sit in your seat, pray that God would soften your heart. The second thing we see as we hasten, is not only the hardened, cold, unresponsive heart, but we see the sh- the shallow heart. I already mentioned the layer of thin dirt over uh, over limestone, probably or some rock barrier, and that soil heats up, and the seed gets in that soil. When that this, they, they used to tell us when I planted okra. Does anybody know what okra is? You actually put a seed in the ground and a sprout grows up and these things grow and you cut them off and then you slice them up and then you, then you put the batter on them and throw them in the grease and you end up with fried okra. I don't like okra, never have. Never liked it since my parents made me eat it when they boiled it. That's some nasty stuff. But they used to say, take the okra seeds, put them in the freezer. So I'd put my okra seeds in some ice. And then in June, when you would plant your okra seeds, you'd take them out of the freezer. They'd be frozen. you put them in the warm ground. you put those okra seeds, the little tiny seeds, in the warm ground. And boom, they just, they just take off growing out of the ground what he's talking about there's this shallow ground the rocks beneath it therefore the sun hits it you don't have the moisture coming up from beneath and as soon as the seed hits it all of a sudden there's this explosion it's like when you start a fire in the fireplace and you you take the newspaper and you take the kindling wood and or the fire, the, the starter log or whatever you do and you throw it in there and all of a sudden you set the match and boom everything's just burning like crazy until you throw that old green log on the fire and it slows down the pace He's saying there are these people and the seed hits their heart, but their heart is shallow, but it it finds just a little bit of soil and it catches on like fire. And then hardship comes, testing comes. Philip Ryken said it's important to be honest about the hardships of the Christian life. Can I be honest with you? If you've never believed the gospel, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me every day. I want life to be easier. I do. Every day, I want to wake up and have a problem-free day. I do. I want my car to run the way it's supposed to run. I want my wife to act the way she's supposed to act. I don't want the leaves to fall on the trees. I just blew the driveway off yesterday. I don't want to have to blow it off today. I want my team to win their games. They lost yesterday. I mean, I just want to get up every day and life go the way it's supposed to go. But believe it or not, anybody that lives on this planet, life is not going to go the way it's supposed to go. And when you become a Christian, it doesn't make life go the way it is supposed to go. In fact, let me just tell you, if you believe the gospel and become a follower of Jesus Christ, life is going to be more difficult. There are going to be pressures. There are going to be stresses. Things are not going to go your way. It is going to be painful. He's saying there are these people when pressure comes, when pressure comes, they can't take it. They bail out. It's important to be honest about the hardships of the Christian life. It's also critical that we not call everyone who is manipulated during an invitation or gospel presentation a convert. It is critical that we not call everyone who is manipulated during an invitation or manipulated through a gospel presentation. That doesn't mean they are a convert. It is also critical, equally critical, that we not subject the work of God to our grids, our timelines, our human reason. When the seed of the word of God is sown, we should expect people to hear and believe. The danger of a shallow heart. Thirdly, the danger of a preoccupied, divided, distracted heart. A heart that tries to synthesize the gospel with our worries and our idols. The heart that tries to synthesize the gospel with our, with our worries and our idols. I already mentioned the text tells us that these people are going on their way over the process of times. Worries, riches, and pleasures don't make a sudden assault. Please hear me. I've been pastoring for 40 years. I've had a ton of relationships and observations and I've seen it happen so many times. Man, when, when people are down, when things are bad, they love Jesus. But all of a sudden now, when things are good, there is this synthesis of, of all of this materialism and, and all of these, these pleasures that, that now we're going to synthesize. And we don't understand that these thorns are growing up and they're headed for our throat and they're going to choke us spiritually to death. Over time, they ooze their way in and finally choke the spiritual life out of us. But it's those gradual things. <laughs> Recently had a flat tire or a tire with a nail in it, and it'd go down. I couldn't see it go down. But then after about five days, it was about 10 pounds of pressure shy, and it began to get down and start wearing on the tread. And I said, I got to do something about it and pump the tire back up. But it was just so gradual. Gradual danger is hard to notice. Here's what's happening. Things, these things creep in and, and gradually shift our value system from our soul to the things of the world. And before you know it, the Word of God, who God is, what He says about Himself, what He says about you, doesn't mean as much as perhaps what your worries say about you or what your pleasures say about you or what your riches say about you. It will take over your spiritual life. But then finally, Jesus gets to the good soil. The good soil, the good heart. I, I want to I read it from the text, verse 15. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good, there's that word again, heart, and bear fruit with patience. The good Soil. The good heart is not hardened by sin so that Satan can snatch away the good seed of the Word of God. The good heart is not shallow so that it withers in the face of persecution and pressure. The good heart is not so diluted and distracted that it gets choked off by the pleasures and prosperity and pressures of life. Here's what he says in the text The good heart hears the Word. The good heart hears God speak. Gives weight to the one who is speaking. The good heart gives value to the one who is speaking. The good heart gives weight and value to what is being said by God. Not just in their hearing, not just in their head, but at the depth of their soul in their heart. So the good heart hears the Word of God. The good heart holds fast to the Word of God. There are a lot of things that we can see come and go that we can release, but the good heart holds fast to the Word of God. The good heart says this is of supreme value. God speaking to me. God communicating to me. Me in conversation with God. I hold fast. This is what I cling to. This is what I hold to when all else fails is God's Word. And it is an honest and good heart. A good heart deals with the highest of spiritual issues in the deepest part of our being. The heart. The heart. And we avoid that. I hate to tell you, but when you start dealing with issues of the heart, you do have to deal with issues of feeling. I don't hate to tell you that, because quite frankly, just to be honest with you, when we start dealing with issues of emotions and we start dealing with issues of feeling, those are the places that we feel the most alive. When we start dealing with the heart, we are dealing with that feeling stuff, that emotional stuff, that stuff that we feel like to be a a real man. Uh, a a real solid person, you have to uh, avoid that. But Jesus gets right to the core. He gets right to the heart. If you don't hear him in your heart, you really don't hear him at all. No one can live in heart denial, denial. No one can live in heart denial. To To do so is to be less than human. It it is a denial of the way that we were created. It is a denial of how we as followers of Jesus Christ and residents of His kingdom are redeemed to live. He's dealing with it in the text. He's dealing with hearing. He's dealing with His word. He's dealing with the heart. He's dealing with it approaching, changing, transforming, being heard at the core of our being. That is an honest and good heart. And he says, this heart bears fruit. It bears good fruit. Chapter 8, verse 8. And bears fruit, he says in verse 15. But if you look at chapter 8 and verse number 8, he says, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Here are the principles of the kingdom, verses 16 to 18. and, And I'm done. Number one. In the kingdom, when God speaks it is received, it is responded to, it is released. That's what, that's what he's saying. Revelation in the kingdom, revelation is given, revelation is received, revelation is responded to, revelation is released. The revelation of God, the word of God, the life-giving, light-giving word is intended to be received in the heart, transforming the heart and being released from the heart, bearing incalculable fruit. It is not intended to be locked away in a different compartment and restricted. This is human nature. This is common sense. This is not the heart. That's what what he's saying about this candle. He said, you don't don't walk into the room with a light and say, all of a sudden, I don't want anybody to be able to see, so I'm going to take the light and I'm going to put it under the bed. I'm going to put it under a bushel. I'm going to hide the light. No, we're going to come in with the light and we're going to let the light be seen because the light is then going going to illuminate people and lives are going to be touched and lives are going to be changed by the light when they can see. So common sense says you don't do that to a light. Common sense says you don't do, do that with the good news of the kingdom. It, the principle of the kingdom is this. Revelation is given, it is received, it is released. That's what he's telling us in verses 16 to 18. But he would also be very, say, be very careful about how you hear the word of God. He makes it clear, the one who hears... And his heart will be given more and more and more and it will be clearer and clearer. But if your heart is hard, if your heart is fearful of what following Christ might cost you, if your heart is preoccupied with the worries and pleasures and trinkets of the world, then these things will choke out the Word of God. They will choke out what you are even hearing remotely and will be taken away from you. I guess we could say the principle of the kingdom is this, the, word, the work of God is done in your heart or it is not done at all. The work of God is done in your heart or it is not done at all. So I ask you, as we close, I make a statement, I'll ask you some questions. How you hear the word of God changes everything. Listening, Listening, especially to God, is critical. How you hear the Word of God changes everything. Listening, especially listening to God in our hearts, is critical. Secondly, what could be accomplished in the kingdom if those who say they lived in it really believed that it was valuable? What could happen in the kingdom if those who say they live in the kingdom really believe that the kingdom was valuable? These, these people that follow Jesus said, we're going to take our resources, we're going to invest it in the kingdom. Why? Because they believe the kingdom was valuable. Thirdly, how is your heart moved when God speaks? How is your heart moved when God speaks? How is your heart moved when you read Scripture? How is your heart moved when you've memorized Scripture and it comes back up? How is your heart moved when the Spirit reminds you of something that God has said? How is your heart moved when the Spirit's leading you according to God's Word? Has your heart ever been moved? Have you ever heard God speak in your heart? I need that. You need that. We need that. And if we don't get that, There's a a huge part of us, if not all of us, the spiritual part of us is really dead. Finally, your biggest problems this morning are in your heart. I wish I had some secrets for you. I wish I could tell you the secrets to winning the lottery. I wish I could give you the secrets to making your family get along over Thanksgiving or how to make the best sweet potato souffle, or whatever, I, I, I don't have any secrets for you this morning. I'm here to tell you that your biggest problems this morning are in your heart. And if everything in this world changed for the good, but your heart remained unchanged, you would be in a terrible place. Most of us want Jesus to change everything around us, but nothing within us. If nothing in your external world changed, but God changed your heart, Everything that matters would change. If you've never believed the gospel, I would invite you to believe the gospel this morning. Jesus came and lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve to die. He rose victorious over an enemy that we cannot defeat. And when I believe in my heart, Romans 10.10 10, or Romans 10.9, that God has raised him from the dead, I will be saved it's all a matter of the heart have you believed the gospel this morning and do you have a heart do you have a heart that is hearing when God speaks that is absolutely critical to your life here and your life forever if you've never believed the gospel come to Christ if you say you have or think you have believed the gospel I would ask you this morning to examine your heart And I want to tell you that if you're not engaging your heart, if your heart is not being impacted by the word of God, you're missing the point of being a Christian. You're missing the point if you are one at all.